this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Speaking of Israel, there was a funny story that I heard about resurrection uh, some time back. There was a man and his wife and his cranky mother-in-law that took a trip to Israel, to the Holy Land, and uh, they went on vacation, and while they were there, their mother-in-law passed away. And uh, the undertaker came up afterwards and told him, he said, hey, uh, you can have her body shipped home for $5,000, or you can have your mother-in-law buried here in the Holy Land for $150. Which one would you want to do? And the man said, well, let me think about it. And so he went and thought about it for a while, and he came back and he said, hey, I want to go ahead and pay the money and have her body shipped back uh, home. And the man said, that's fine, but could I ask why you'd spend the money to have your mother-in-law shipped back home? He said, well, um, 2,000 years ago, there was a man that died uh, here, and he was buried, and three days later, he rose again. He said, I just can't take that chance. (laughs) Hey, that's a horrible Easter Horrible Holy Land and Easter joke, but I just thought I'd tell it anyway this morning. And so um, today we're celebrating what I believe is the most important day of our lives, Resurrection Sunday. Can you say it with me? Resurrection Sunday. I know we call it Easter. Some people get hung up on saying, you're not supposed to say Easter. That's a pagan holiday. It's not for me. Just like Christmas, I'm not worshiping a Christmas tree. I'm not worshiping a bunny. I'm I'm worshiping Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. But it's the most important day. I believe for us to celebrate because we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection. And because of his death, because of his burial, and because of his resurrection, we have the guarantee of eternal life. That we don't have to worry about, are you worried about dying? No, because I'm going to live forever. When you have an eternal life with Jesus, you're not worried about dying. Because we have eternal life. And so today we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but we're also celebrating our eternal life in Jesus. Can you just stop one more time and say, thank you, Jesus, for eternal life. Thank you for your resurrection in my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for finding me at my lowest point and pulling me up. I know that every one of us can stop and thank the Lord for that. Hey, today also I'm starting a brand new series called Why Am I Here? Why Am I Here? You can say, where is here? Well, here on earth. What's my purpose? It's one of the biggest questions. You may be asking that question this morning. Why am I here at this church? Well, someone invited you and you're here today. But there's a purpose for everything. And I know that that's the big question that most people are asking is in their lives is why am I here? I know it's not what am I doing, it's why am I doing it? It's not what job I'm doing or what I'm going after in life, it's why. What's the meaning of all of it? I mean, you, you get a, a goal in life and you finally get that position and once you get it, you're like, ah, there's, it's not enough. It's not what I'm looking for. Or you get that raise or you get that, uh, the, the amount of money that you need or your debt's paid off and you get those things or you get the relationship and you still feel like there, there's purpose. I'm lacking purpose. Why am I here? Rick Warren wrote a book some years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. 35 million copies were sold of The Purpose Driven Life. You know, not as many as the Bible. But people are looking for their purpose in life. You know, uh, $10.5 billion were spent uh, in recent studies on self-help books. 
When you walk into a bookstore or you go into a digital bookstore, self-help books. How do I get uh, to the next level? How do I win friends and influence people? How do I make more money? How do I get in the right career? How do I find my purpose? It's self-help books. They say that by 2025, there's going to be 15 billion, it's going to be a $15 billion industry. Why? Because people are asking that question all the time. What is my life all about? What's the purpose of my life? Sometimes people get to a place and right when they've achieved something, they go out and they attempt suicide. And sometimes they succeed. What's the purpose for it? Because they really don't know what it's all about. I thought that was the goal, but when I got there, I realized I'm at the wrong destination. I think the reason why we get to the wrong, that we get the wrong answer is because we're asking the wrong, come on, we're asking the wrong question. See, if we look to ourselves, self-help, if we look to ourselves to answer the question, what is the meaning of life or why am I here or why am I doing what I'm doing, we're going to get the wrong answer. See, we didn't create ourselves. We didn't start this whole thing. We didn't put the plan of life together ourselves. God is the creator. You, in order to go and, and find out your place on the map, you got to go look at the map creator, the one who laid this whole plan out. You're the one who God put in this point of time. God's appointed you into, in a specific place at a specific time, and you may be frustrated with it and fed up with it and don't understand it, but let me tell you someone who does understand it. God understands and in order to find the answer of why am I here, we have to go back to God and we have to go back to God's word. You didn't begin, life didn't begin with you. You cannot define your own life. I remember one time I was down in Newport Beach, California, where I was born and raised, and I was down in Newport Beach and I was trying to find Balboa Island. I had been there several times, but I was trying to find, I remember I was taking Tiffany and we were out on a date and we were going down to, and I was looking for it and I drove down PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, and I'm trying to find, and I couldn't find a street and I went down, maybe it's on the next street, maybe it's on the next street. I couldn't find how to get over to Balboa Island. I finally stopped and asked a local, hey, I'm missing the street. How do I get over to Balboa Island? They said, oh, um, you can get on the, the ferry where it takes your car across the ferry or, but really the way to get there is you got to go all the way around the other side and get there. And I'm here trying to find my way to the other side through this way. That's sometimes we're trying to find our purpose on our own and God's saying, you're not even taking the right area. And you get frustrated and you hit a dead zone and you don't know what to do. That's what we're talking about. You cannot discover the plans and the purposes of your life without going to the one who mapped it all out. So stick with me over these next few weeks here. I'm probably going to be about five messages. Next week, I'm going to talk about uh, the, the whole phrase, you can be anything. We tell our kids this. You can be anything you want to be when you grow up. Well, is that true? I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about graces and places. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about women in ministry. Women in ministry. Paul said, let them keep silent in the church. So we're going to talk about women in ministry in two weeks. I know women will show up to that one. Okay. Uh, and then we have Mother's Day. We have Mother's Day and Tiffany's going to speak on that day but, uh, in two weeks. But we have some interesting things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. But uh, stick with me on this series. Hey, I want you to look in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this. Out of the New Living Translation, it says, For everything. In fact, would you look on your screens and read with me? For everything... 
There is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. I want you to notice what he said. For everything, there's a season, a time for every activity. The word season is actually the word, uh, it, 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 it's an appointment. It's an appointed time. Everything in life has an appointment. The things you're going after, you wonder, why can't I get there? Well, maybe you're there and the thing you're supposed to meet or the one you're supposed to meet isn't there because it's not, the appointment's not set up yet. To everything, there's a season and, there, and there's a time for every activity or every purpose under the heaven. The time doesn't just mean a general time. It's an appointed time. It's, it's an exact time for every activity. The word activity could also be translated, and, and we see it in other versions, every pleasure, every desire, every purpose under the heaven. God has set up life to where every single thing in your life has an appointment. And if we're not connected with the Lord, we'll miss appointments. We'll miss our time. And sometimes when you miss an appointment, you have to go all the way around again to get that appointment set back up again. It's important. To everything, there's a season, a time for every purpose. And then he he goes on, and I'm going to read it to you today, but just follow along. Look at verse 2. A time to be born. Again, this isn't a general time. It's a specific time. In in one translation, it says an appointed time to be born, an appointed time to die, but I'll save you the appointed, okay? A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace love, and a time to keep a, uh, to turn away, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. My mom told me that one a lot. <laughs> A time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. There's a time for every purpose under the heaven. Lord, I pray that as we open your word that you'd show us your timing in our lives. He says, what do people really get for all their hard work? Verse 10, I have seen the burden that God has placed on us all. Look at verse 11. And yet God has made everything beautiful for its time. Can you read verse 11 with me? And yet God has made everything beautiful for its time. It says he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people, look at this, because here's an answer. People cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. Sometimes we catch something and we say, did I miss God? No, you might have missed the timing. Did I miss what God was saying? No, maybe you missed the timing that God was saying it or how. That's why sometimes we say God's not answering me. I think it's because it wouldn't be helpful for him to answer you right now. Maybe you'd get distracted with where you are if he shows you with where you're going. Because he wants you to complete where you are. The key to the next season is this season. There's a timing For everything, I think we could summarize that by saying everything has a time. Timing is everything. God's plan and God's timing are everything. Today, specifically, I want to talk with you about the divine reset. It happened on the cross. 
and with resurrection. The divine reset. A divine reset happens when you become born again. The word born again is not just some Christianese term. You know, people, I don't get into those Christianese terms, you know, born again and all. No, no, no. The, word, the, the words born again, Jesus came up with. In fact, he told Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again, or really you must be born twice. Everyone must be born twice. And he said, he went on and clarified, and he said, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. The twice is the water of the spirit. The water is the water of your mother's womb. Every person who's born again has to be a human being. Spirits cannot, angels cannot be born again. Demons cannot be born again. Why? They were never born onto earth before. So you must be born twice. You must be born of the water and you must be born of the spirit. That's God's spirit. You must be born again. There's two births that need to occur. When you're born into a family, you take on the family's name. You take on the family's attributes. You take on the family's benefits. When you're born again, you take on the name, God's name. Remember, he actually changed uh, uh, Abraham's name before salvation was available and called him Abraham. He put him, his name into Abraham's name, and Sarah. She was Sarah, and he made her name Sarah. Actually join their names together. Why? Isn't that what we do when we get married? You join your names. You take on a name. Here with salvation... When you're born of the Spirit, you take on the name of Jesus. You take on his name. You take on the Spirit's attributes. We, in the book of Galatians, we call it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. There are things that naturally, when you're born again, you go, oh, I wish I could hate them or knock them out, but I can't. Why? Because something in you has been born again. You have the Spirit's attributes and you have the Spirit's benefits. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I think it's important for every one of us to catch this with our hearts, not just our minds. Catch this with your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if you've never memorized this, it's one of the greatest verses to memorize in the Bible. It says, this means that anyone, would you read it with me on the screens? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. Born again means that you become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has be, uh, begun. I know that we live in a, in a world and in a day to where, you, you know, reused, repurposed things, clothes, cars, you know, going to the Goodwill and shopping and things. They're like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool, but there's nothing like going to somewhere like a Nordstrom or a Macy's or a, or, and you get something and it's brand new and you put it on. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can wear someone else's shoes who, who wore them before, but when you put on some brand new shoes and you look down, you're like, hey man, that's brand new. Do you know that when, when you were reborn, God didn't wash your old spirit? He didn't give you a, a, a reused coat, something that he repurposed. So that you look at it and you say, well, I guess I'm just, you know, uh, you know, and you still smell the residues underneath. He didn't carpet over dirty carpet. Thank you, Lord. No, what did he do? He ripped up the new carpet and put down fresh pad and fresh carpet so that when you walk on it and look at it and smell it and you're around it, right, it's fresh, it's new. He says, the new man has come, the old life is gone. Not only did the new life come, but the old life has to be gone. It's part of the equation. Look at this. If anyone belongs to Christ, he's a new person. There's nothing like putting on something new. In Christ, we have a brand new operating system. 
I don't know if you're a computer person or not or, or electronics or not, but you know, when you have a problem with your computer and you call up tech support, one of the first things they ask is they say, what operating system are you using? And if you tell them some, you know, uh, outdated operating system, you know, 2005 operating system, what are they going to say? <laughs> There's your problem. Yet with, as believers, we say, I'm new in Christ Jesus, and we say, what's the problem? We're still using the operating system of the old life. See, we have to use the new operating system. We have to allow the old to be gone and the new to come. He says, all things have become new. In fact, sometimes, you know, if I get a new computer, they have this whole thing that's migration to where you can set up one and go to the next and just transfer everything that's old into the new. I don't know about you. But I don't even like the, the migration unless I just migrated, you know, unless I, I had just set up my old computer. I don't want to transfer everything from the last 10 years or five years over to a brand new computer. No, I want, I want to actually, I know it's going to take some more time to set it up and to get used to it, but I want something fresh. I want the latest updates, and then I want to put my own files on that. Anybody know what I mean in here today? Yeah, all things have become new. Sometimes we want to take on the new life that Christ has for us, but we're trying to use the old operating system, the old way of thinking. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we gotta renew our minds to think the way that our operating system, our spirit has been. We can't use an old manual for a new operating system, right? We have to renew our minds to the new operating system. We cannot use the old operating system in a new spirit. Why? It's incompatible. So the divine reset. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is one of the greatest books. The Holy Spirit wrote the book of Ephesians to the church of Ephesus by the apostle Paul. And he wrote these uh, to the church. And we can say these are to the church today. But Ephesians chapter 2 talks about someone who used to walk a certain way and now they're walking a different way. And I want you to look at these words. It says, and you he made alive, read with me, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. When, we've be, when we have become born again, Christ lo looks at us, God looks at us and sees us brand new, alive with a new operating system. And he's saying, but the thing is, I realize you used to walk a different way and you used to follow a different course. He says here uh, in verse 4, but God who is rich, or, or he says in verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Don't just listen to me today. Let this settle in. Which you once walked according to the course of this world. See, this world, there's a, there's a course. There's like an autopilot. It's like train tracks that have already been set up, and they, already, they only go certain directions. The, the world has a certain course and pattern that's already been mapped out. And it says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air has set up a course that the world walks on. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of training. It's a way of associating. And our minds naturally follow those patterns. And he says, you used to walk that way, but now in Christ Jesus, you he made alive who were dead 
in, in these sins. Look at verse four. But God who is rich in mercy, read it with me. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. What did he say? He said that he took us out of this pattern that we walked in and he made us alive together with Christ. And it says, verse six, and he raised us up together and he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know now that we're born again where we are located? We're located in Christ Jesus. Our life is found in Christ Jesus. So when we're looking for the meaning of our life and we're believers, we're looking, we're born again, but we're looking for the meaning of our life and we're going and trying to find some self-help book or we're going and trying to just think and and the power is within you. And the, the direction for your life is in you and the answer is in you. That's not true. Couldn't be. Because in Christ, all things are new. And he said, what has he done? He, because of his love, he's made us alive together with Christ. He's raised us up together with Christ. And he's seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now God sees us. When God looks at you, he sees you alive in Christ. When God looks at you, he sees you raised up together with Christ. When God looks at you, he sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I know that sometimes we think that God looks at us like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a no good scoundrel and he's ready to beat me up. No, he looks at you as reborn. He looks at you as a new creation. He looks at you as pure and holy. He looks at you as he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And if we could just renew our minds to that. We wouldn't be asking the question, why am I here? Look at verse 8. It says, for by grace, read it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's hard to believe because we're used to earning everything that we have. Right? Everything that I have, I've earned it. I'm a self-made man. No, but in Christ Jesus, we're not self-made. In fact, we didn't do any of it. The only way that we earned it, we receive everything from God by faith. It's, it, we receive his grace and his grace is by faith. And what is faith? It's looking at something that you cannot see with your physical eyes, but you believe that God's word said it. God offered you every promise of God. He's offered freely to you and it's ours for the believing. We have to believe. We have to believe. We are sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, he's not saying really not of works. He's saying not of our works because he did do the work on the cross. And then he goes on and says, for we are, look at verse 10, read with me. For we are his workmanship. Well, if it's not of works, he means not of our works. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ, read with me. Created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. The word workmanship is the Greek word poema where we get the word poem. It's something not jotted out. He didn't jot out your life like some little scrap note. No, it's something that's been thought about and crafted. He's written your life like a poem. One translation said, we are God's masterpiece. God wrote every day of your life down. 
God has your life crafted out and worked out. And if we're not discovering it, it's because we're trying to self-discover when he's the one who mapped it all out. A difference between jotting out a note and writing a poem. Poems are beautiful. Let me give you four points about a divine reset of what happened here on the cross. Number one is the price. Number one is the price. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we, we read in verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, is a new creation. But in verse 21... It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering of sin for us so that we could be made right with God through Christ. A price had to be paid to do a divine reset. What happened on the cross was not cheap. What happened on the cross was not like, yeah, I'll just send my son down there and we'll just reset the button like a computer. We'll just reset the, no, no, no. He sent his son. His son became a man. His son lived 30 years, 33 years here on earth perfectly as a man. And then he took the death, burial and resurrection, but he took death on the cross and a beating on the cross for our sins. That's what happened. There was a price to be paid. God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through him. What does that mean? It means he took his righteousness and he gave it to you. He exchanged it. And he took your sin and he took it on himself. But then he gave you his righteousness. So when we see ourselves, we don't see ourselves as sinners. We were sinners, but we've been saved by grace. He didn't just press a button to reset us. He sent Jesus. Our part now is to believe in him and to confess him as Lord. How do we become born again? Let me say it. We believe that Jesus took the price on the cross and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is the new Lord of our lives. We're not walking according to the world. We're not walking according to ourselves. We're not self-governed. We're Jesus-governed. Somebody say amen today. Number two is position. Number one is price. A price had to be paid. But number two is position. I want you to notice where you are when you've had this divine reset. You're no longer sitting on earth in your home, in your car, in your vibe, in your environment, and where you live and how you like it and how you set up everything your presets in life, so to speak. No, but when we were divinely reset, we were created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, again, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ. Would you say that with me? Created in Christ. When we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we surrender our old life and we identify with the new life. You know, nowadays it's popular to say, how do you identify? I say, in Christ. How do you you self-identify? I self-identify as seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how I identify. Why? Because God reset my life. And when he reset my life, it's not my life anymore. My life is found. In fact, I can't find my life on my own. I have to find my life in Christ. Where we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have to seek him to find our new life. Well, where is Christ? He's in heavenly places. He's close to the Father. He's in God's presence. He is God. He's alive. He's not defeated. He's not underneath. He's not uh, running away from the devil. He's victorious. He's above all the powers of hell. He's above all the powers of darkness. And guess where I'm seated? In him. So we don't see ourselves defeated anymore. We don't see ourselves as victims anymore. We don't see ourselves as, oh, I'm just running away from the devil. No, the Bible says submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee, not you flee. 
Not I flee from the devil, he'll flee from me. Why? Because I'm seated in Christ Jesus. It's a divine reset. He's repositioned you. He's repositioned me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Now thanks be to God who leads us in triumph in Christ. Let me tell you where triumph is, in Christ. If you're not triumphing today, it's because we're trying to do it on our own. When we're seated in Christ, he's never lost a battle. Jesus didn't lose yesterday. Jesus never loses a battle. So we have to see ourselves. Thanks be to God, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Read that with me. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Romans 8.34, it says, who is he who condemns? You think, I feel so much condemnation. Well, that's not coming from the Lord. That's not coming. The condemnation you feel is not coming from Jesus. It says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does he say here? He says there's no condemnation. Or who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Listen, Christ is not condemning you. Christ is standing up for you. Christ is not putting you down. He's not trying to judge you and put you down. He's trying to lift you up in heavenly places in Christ. Romans 8.34, who is he who condemns? It's not Christ. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you're lost? Well, I, I remember one time I was in Los Angeles at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. I was going to see the L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra. Someone gave me a couple tickets to the uh, L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra. It was an awesome concert. But I remember when I walked in, I'm used to sitting, I was in college, and I'm used to sitting in the seats, you know, um, up in the balcony. No, but I'm used to sitting in the seats way up. And, uh, and I walked in, and I'm like, okay, where are these seats? And I'm, I started to just naturally just walk upstairs, and I'm looking around. I couldn't find them. I'm like, where are these seats? Where are I finally went to somebody and said, where are the seats? And they said, oh, you're looking for, you're looking for your seats in the wrong section. Amen. You ever feel lost in life? Well, sometimes you're looking for your seat in the wrong section. You're looking for your place when Christ has seated you up at the front. Christ has seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and you're looking for the back row seats. Am I L or am I T or am I, am I M or where am I supposed to? He's like, no, 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 you're down at the front. You're sitting in the wrong section. Sometimes we're lost because we're looking in the wrong section. Colossians chapter 3, let me read you these verses. Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know why we can't find our life? Because we're looking for our life in ourselves. Or we're asking a friend, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think I should be? Do you think I could get that promotion? Do you think I should move there? Do you think I should go take that job? No, our lives are hidden in Christ. With Christ in God. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives me, lives in me. Can I just give you a, a, a tip today? Quit trying to find yourself. Quit trying to find yourself. I'm just looking for me. I'm just looking for me. Listen, your old self is dead. Our new self is hidden in Jesus. So you're gonna find you in him. If you're looking for you in any, anywhere else than in him, then we can't find our lives. We're going to be confused. It's going to mess us all up. That goes for every one of us. Somebody say amen. amen. Our life is hidden. 
in Christ. Philippians 3, 9 says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And he goes on and says in verse 10, to, to, I want to know him and I want to know the resurrection, the power of his resurrection. What is he saying? He's saying, I want to find my life, but I'm running after God to find it. Matthew 16, verse 25, Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life, but I like me. I've worked for me. I've educated me. I've got me to where I am. If you ever become bigger than the plan that God has for you, you have a conflict. You have a big, in fact, Jesus said the bigger you become on your own, the harder it is. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Why? Because you've accomplished a lot. He says it's actually more difficult. The more you've accomplished on your own, it's actually more difficult to go after the Lord. Why? You don't need him. Or you don't think you do. But what has he said? said? He said, for whoever desires to save his life. Notice he didn't say whoever saves his life. He said whoever desires to. I just want to hold on to it. That's desiring to. If you desire to save your life, what will happen? You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. If you're born again, you're going to have a hard time finding your old life. It's like when someone has accidentally reset or you've accidentally reformatted your hard drive and you're looking for your old files. You're going to be frustrated. They're gone. Unless you backed them up, they're gone. But I need them. They're gone. They're gone. Jesus reformatted your hard drive. Quit trying to look for those files. Quit trying to look for your life that you've accomplished. But you don't know what I've lost. Ah, seriously. If, if Christ has reset your operating system, the files are gone forever. The price, the position, the purpose is number three, purpose. Number three is purpose. He, there's a price that was paid. There's a position that you find your life in Christ, but now there's a new purpose for your life. You may have chosen what your purpose was when you were 19, 20, when you were choosing a college degree or when you were choosing what path, career path you were gonna go into. But listen, he's given us a new purpose. The Bible says we were created for good works. Well, it's not about works, it's about grace. No, it's about grace to get into heaven. It's about grace to get into heaven. The great white throne, we're all going to stand at the throne. It's not because of our good works that we're going to get in. It's because of the work he did on the cross and our believing. But there's, a, there's, another, throne. there's, there's another throne we're going to stand up, and he's going to judge us on our works. Everything we did, and he's going to burn up the things that don't count, and the things that count are eternal, according to the scripture. Matthew 16, or our purpose, created for good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. In order to find purpose for something, you have to go to the one who created it all. You have to go to the one who created it all. I remember years ago, I'm dating myself, but it's okay. Uh, there was this movie called The Gods Must Be Crazy. 
It was like this old. It's like, it's nothing impressive. But it was called The Gods Must Be Crazy. And it was uh, about this tribe. I think it was in Africa or something. Anyway, I remember this one scene where this guy was uh, in a plane and he's, he's, he's traveling over and he's drinking a Coca-Cola bottle. And he takes this Coca-Cola bottle, and when he's finished with it, he throws it out the window, and it goes all the way down, and it drops down on the ground right in the middle of this tribe, uh, you know, where these people are. And someone picks it up, and he goes, what is this? You know, he doesn't know what it is. He's, he's out there, and, and uh, by the way, you might not want to watch it. It, it. It's a tribe, and they don't have a lot of clothes on, but it, it was a long time ago. I just got to move right along, squirrel. I just got to move right along. Okay. So... So he picks up this bottle, and he's looking for the purpose of the bottle. And he begins to uh, blow, and he goes, oh, it's a musical instrument. And he starts teaching everybody it's a musical. And then he goes, oh, it's a hammer. He begins to hammer the sand, and and then he begins to roll out things. Oh, it's a roller. And then he goes, oh, it's fabric. It rolls out snakeskins, and he does. And everyone started, there was only one that was dropped, and they said the gods must have dropped down this bottle. So everyone thought this gift from the gods has come to us, but he's only given us one. And they start arguing. Then it's a toy. And then it's a, you know, spin the bottle and all these things. They were trying to find what the purpose of this bottle was. See, they didn't know the purpose because they they couldn't find the creator of the purpose. So they came up with all kinds of purposes of this bottle. And the bottle ended up being a conflict because it was only one of them. And uh, it was a funny part, I I remember, and the the leader of the tribe throws up this bottle and he goes, take the, you know, take the gift back. And it lands on some kid's head and the kid knocks down, he drags the kid off and then some coyote uh, buries it and pulls it back up. And they went through this whole thing. I'm like, man, they had some time on their hands to create this movie. But I remember about this bottle, about this bottle, that we can take something that God puts in your hands and you can come up with all kinds of things that it was purpose for. The only one who can determine the purpose of your life is the one who created it. You can try to come up with, well, the reason I'm like this is because, and you can try to repurpose your life and it can even create conflict. It can even create a problem where you go, my gift is my, is my struggle. Well, I think we need to go back and say, God, why did you make me the way that I am? See, I don't believe God's trying to change you. I think God's trying to sharpen you. I don't think God's trying to take from you the gifts that he's put in you. I remember one time someone gave me this nice stylus pen. And uh, it was, it was uh, like a pen that writes on, you know, phones or writes on. Uh, and, and I remember taking the thing and they said, oh, I got you a nice pen. And I could see it was nice. It was in a nice case. And I opened it up and I didn't know it was a stylus pen. And I clicked it and I started to write something on paper. I said, I'm this dumb pen. doesn't have any ink in it, you know, and I'm looking at it and I'm clicking it. And, and, and I almost threw it away. I remember thinking, I'm going to throw this pen away. And I thought, it's too nice to throw away. I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to the person and say, you know. And then I got to looking at it and thinking. And I, and, and I looked up the brand and I looked. I said, oh, it's a nice pen. I said, oh, it's not meant to write on paper. It's a Silas pen. See, I had to go back to the creator. I had to go back to the website. I had to go back. Sometimes we hate the gifts that are in us. I wish I had their gifts because we don't know what they're for. We don't know why. It's almost like your gift has become your curse. Anybody know what I mean? Yes. But when we go back to the one who created the gift and say, why have you given me this? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I working this in or out of my life? And every, if you ask someone else, everyone has an opinion, just in case you didn't know. 
Everyone could tell you what they think. Your design is a perfect fit for your purpose. Let me say it again. Your design is a perfect fit for your purpose. You were created in Christ for good works. You were created for something. God, why did you make me the way that I am? Listen, if you don't discover your purpose, you'll never embrace your design. If you don't discover your purpose, you'll never embrace your design. You'll always despise it. God is not trying to change you. He's already created you perfect in Christ, but he wants you to find yourself in him. Let me give you a couple more scriptures here. In uh, Psalm 139, he says, verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. He says, how well I know it. But do you know that when polled over 80% of people don't know the purpose that they're on earth, they don't know the reason why God created them. They don't know the reason for their gifts and who they are. Over 80% of people. But he says here, how well I know it. God created you perfect for his purpose. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 11, You remember what he said? I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord. They're plans of good and not for disaster to give you, Jeremiah, to give you, Jeremiah speaking this, to give you a, a future and a hope. And just like these people, God has plans for you. He has a specific purpose for you. God has good works for you. So this divine reset is a price, there's a position, there's a purpose, and then last of all, there's a plan. There's a plan. I think this is where we get hung up the most. There's a plan. There's a plan. Ephesians 2.1, I, I want to remind you at the beginning, Ephesians 2.1 says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. I want you to notice, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Our life used to be, maybe it is now even, our life used to follow the plans of the enemy. He says, but in verse 10, nine verses later, he says, but now he's created us for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice verse 1 says we used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. But now we're created in Christ and we should follow, we should walk in them. Yes. We used to follow the enemy and the world and walk a path. Now we're created in Christ. He's prepared a place for us. He's prepared plans for us, our day for us, and now we should follow him, them. We have to change not only our position, but we have to change the plan, the way we do things. But I've worked to get to where I am. Yeah, but at the end of the day, eternity is a whole lot longer than the life that we live here on earth. Who are we following? Are you following your old life, your old way of thinking, the course of this world governed by the prince and the power of the air? Or are you following God? who's written your life like a poem, who's written the perfect plan for your life. That's where our life is hidden, is in Christ Jesus. Who are you following? Who are you following? At Costco, <laughs> you know they have those samples at Costco? And, uh, but one of the things that I love about Costco <laughs> is they have these prepared meals. They're already prepared. You know, they're like dinner in a box sort of thing, but they just were made. And you take those boxes and you take them home. So if you're having company, by the way, if we're ever having you over, it, it, um, it's not Costco. It's us. Okay. 
but I'm just telling you, you could take these prepared meals that were just prepared today and you can take them and if you're having company or, or you can go to a place like that that prepares meals and you take them at home, you put them in your oven and you heat them up and when company comes over, you put them on your own dish and what happens? They go, oh, you cook so well. See, Costco prepared beforehand that you should heat them up. Do you know that's the way the Lord does with the works you do? We're trying to create the recipe. The Lord's already created the recipe. The Lord's already made the meal. But we do have to take it home and heat it up. We do have to put it in front of people. We do have to serve people the meal. And when people go, oh, you cook so good, and you go, it was God. And they go, uh, no, don't be humble. No, 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 I'm being honest. It was God. He really did do it. He really made it. All I did was heat it up. Yeah. He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, God is not looking for you to work for him. God's not looking for you to be under pressure for him. God's looking for you to take what he's already done, to heat it up and to serve other people. Good works which God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall. Aren't you glad it didn't say the Lord is my cattle driver? The Lord's, the Lord's the one who gets behind me and drives me. No, the Lord gets in front of you and leads you. In fact, if God's not in, if you can't see God, maybe you're in front of him and he's not in front of you. Heard someone say, I'd rather be two steps behind God than one step ahead of him. Because if you're ahead of God, he's not leading you. You're leading him. You can't lead God. God's leading you. It says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 2, he says, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I remember the Lord was leading me into something. Nate, you guys can come up and play. I want to close with a song, and then we're going to do a raffle, but keep your mind right here. <laughs> the Lord said, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I remember the Lord was leading me and leading us into something one time, and it didn't seem like it was working. It seemed like the, it was real crooked. And I was praying, and I mean, I was, I was honest. I said, Lord, I'm doing everything I know to do. I don't know what to do, and I'm trying to make this happen. Why isn't this happening? And the scripture came to me, I will go before you and make the crooked place straight. And I said, Lord, you said you'd go before me and make the crooked places straight. Lord, the place is not straight in front of me. This is a nasty path, crooked path, messed up path. You ever been there? And I remember the Holy Spirit down on the inside. I didn't hear an audible voice, but down on the inside just said these words to me. What if I don't? I said, what if you don't what? What if I don't go before you and make the crooked places straight? I said, well, I had to think about it for a minute. I didn't expect him. I said, well, and I guess I'd have to go make the crooked places straight. He said, that's what you're doing. why it's so tough you're trying to make the crooked places straight instead of letting me go in front of you clearing out the path instead of letting me go in front of you and making your life work so that all you have to do is just like a little kid you just say son we're going through a crowd just stick behind me I'm going to clear the path the Lord's saying son daughter I have your path already cleared, but you've got to get behind me. You can't go in front of me. You can't make your life in Christ happen. You can't make your destiny happen. It has to be Jesus. Not only to save you, but to make your life a success. And what is success in the eyes of God? Success is when you're fulfilling 
your purpose. You're fulfilling the plan of God for your life. I will go before you and I'll make the crooked places straight. God prepares the work ahead of time that we should walk in them. There was a price, there's a position, there's a purpose, and there's a plan. We have to let God work those things. We're not following something else. We're following a person. We're following the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.